Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Well, good evening. How are you guys? Give me, I'm fantastic. Well, I've been better, but God is good. Um, there's a lot of seats still up here. So if you're sitting on the back walls, come find a seat because there's a ton of empty seats. It's like you guys think that the pastors and the worship leaders bite or something. Only some of you brave souls sit up front. We don't bite. Maybe we spit when we're passionate, but it could be the splash zone. I don't know. <laughs> Good luck, Chandler. Uh, y'all, so what book are we going through? Daniel. Daniel. Um, shout out to me what the first week was. God is worthy of, does anybody remember? Oh, man. Pastor Victor be crying. What is it? Living what? God is worthy of living holy or God is worthy of holiness. What was week two? Does anybody remember week two? Worship. God is worthy of worship. We did a lot of worship in song that week. What about last week? God is worthy of? Prayer. prayer. Discipline. In, yes, prayer disciplines, but prayer. This week, it's God is worthy of missions. God is worthy of missions. It's not going to be up on the screen. You just have to remember it or write it down. I'm a kind of old school guy who would rather you just get out a pen and paper and write it down or make you actually crack open the physical book instead of looking at the screen, but that's okay. What does this old man know about technology? So we're going to go ahead and jump in to some prayer, and then we're going to start talking about what it means to live a life worthy, God, worthy of missions. Let's pray. Jesus, the sound of that name, oceans have been stilled, mountains have crumbled, kingdoms have tottered, kings have been set up and torn down at the mention of that name. The mention of that name, uncontrollable lions have been shut up. The mention of that name, the dead have been raised, both in biblical and present time. So we're asking you to do that tonight. We're asking you, Jesus, to raise the dead. Forgive us for thinking that Christianity is within our control. That it's something extra we do on the weekends or it's something that I can just have enough willpower. But no, Lord, it's a miracle that you've done it all. For those of us who are not yet a part of the family of God, would you begin softening our hearts? To do a miracle of making them children of God. And for those of us who have been redeemed, may we actually sit in your forgiveness today, realizing we're forgiven, period, end of story. In Jesus' name, amen. So God is worthy of a life of holiness. God is worthy of a life of worship. And God is worthy of a life of prayer. Why? To what end? So often we think, oh, I just want to go into the word more. I just want to pray more. I just want to worship more. God is worthy of all these things. But why? Why do we actually say all these things? Why do we pursue a God who feels so distant sometimes? Why do we pursue a relationship with Jesus? Why do we trust the Bible to be true 
Is it because we want to get out of hell? Maybe some of us are just scared of hell, and so that's why we're going to church. Is it to please our parents? Oh, my parents are Christians, so I should be too. Is it maybe, a good reason, is it maybe so that we can be eternally satisfied? Yes, but if it stops there at me, then here's what's gonna happen. Picture the disciplines of worship, holiness, and prayer like the Jordan River. The Jordan River is beautiful, and it's a huge river. It travels for miles and miles and miles, and it feeds into two primary places. The first place is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, by the way, when it gets filtered in, there's nowhere else for that water to go except to evaporate. And therefore, it has a salt capacity of over 30%. Most oceans, only 2%, which means nothing can survive in it. It's dead. But the other sea that it filters into is the Sea of Galilee. This sea is known for its fishing. You'll read it in the Bible about Peter, James, and John going out fishing. Jesus walked on that water. That sea gets fed by the Jordan, be it prayer, holiness, fasting, um, community with saints, if we're talking about that analogy. But then it goes further out into other dispensaries. So when we're talking about prayer, holiness, and fasting, and worship, if we just talk about those for us, and we say, Jesus, I just want to be the, better, the best person I can be, and we stop there, then it may take a little bit, but our faith will die. But if we decide to say, like in, so in John 17, verse 3, it says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Oh, amen. We do all of these things to know God intimately, like husband and wife know each other. We want our souls to be knit together. Prayer takes our flesh and puts it aside, takes off the old self, puts on the new self. Worship declares a reality that's greater than the suffering that we're in. And holiness says, I choose to follow a God who is completely other. But we do all of those things to know God, in order that we make him known widely. We know God, and we make him known. We know God, and we make him known. If you miss that last part, your faith will die. It may take time, but a self-centered faith is no faith at all. But a faith that is about conforming to Jesus That's true faith. And what did Jesus do? Did he stay up in heaven and just, him, the Father, Son, and Spirit were eternally happy, eternally satisfied in each other. The Father giving praise to the Son, the the Son reflecting it back to the Father, the Spirit going back and forth between the two, like an eternal bond of love. They didn't need anything else. They could have been self-sustained, but instead they went out to make themselves known. And so if Christianity is like 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, or we are made in the image of God, true faith will look like being transformed and then telling the world. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 9. It's going to be a little bit of a long passage. We're going to read it out of the NLT, New Living Translation. If you find the Bible confusing, go to the New Living Translation. It kind of dumbs it down to my level. 
So we're going to go ahead and read Daniel chapter 9. This is his prayer, and we're going to see how Daniel is very missional in the way he lives. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord, as revealed in Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap, sprinkled myself with ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed, O Lord, you are great and awesome. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your your commandments and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all of Israel, scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is a merciful God and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed his instructions, the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you have warned. Never has there been such disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing you. Skipping to 15. Our Lord, our God, you brought lasting You brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are all full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. This is my favorite. O Lord, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake, O Lord. Smile again on the desolate sanctuary. Last little bit. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh my God, for your people and your city, Bear your name. This is the word of the Lord. This passage gives us an insight into the heart of Daniel. We can see that he saw what was wrong with the world. He recognized his inability to fix what was wrong and make it right. And he clung to Christ's able willingness to be the one who made it right. And then he stood in the gap for those who had not yet seen what was wrong with the world. Not seen that they had no ability to fix it and not seeing that Christ was willing and able to complete it. So the first point, it's not gonna be up on the screen, but it's based off of verses two through five. So if you have your Bible, kind of bracket it out, two through five, and you can write in the margins, see what is wrong with the world. See what is wrong with the world. Now often when we think of that question, what's wrong with the world, oh, we think of my, my math teacher. 
that's what's wrong with the world, or my ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, or X, Y, or Z, or me not getting the last bowl of Reese's Puffs because my little sister took it. Or, and we just start going off on everything that's out there. Do you want to know what the problem with the world is? You. Me too, most, mostly you. Just kidding. It's us. It's us. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we sinned in Genesis, the world humanity, our relationships, and most importantly, our communion with God was shattered. So what's wrong with the world? Us. That's what's wrong with the world. And the most awful thing that's wrong with the world is that people are separated from God. Separated. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of else things that are wrong with the world. I have seen firsthand sex trafficking. I have seen firsthand people whose limbs have been falling off because of leprosy. I have seen firsthand what waterborne illnesses do to little children. I've seen it. But all of that pales into comparison of not being in communion with the maker of heavens and earth. So what's wrong with the world, Daniel says? Two through five would say, we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by also things that we've refused to do. Second, verses six through 13 says this, or this is kind of how you can characterize them. You can bracket it in your Bible. Recognize who can fix it. See, unlike the previous answer of what's wrong with the world, us, this answer is who can fix it, not us. We always think like, oh, I, you hear this all the time. Hey, it was my mistake, let me clean it up. Or it was my wrong, let me take care of it. I mean, that's what you hear from humble people at least. They don't point the finger. But in this situation, we have no power, none, to make it right. We have no ability to cross the chasm from sin to glory. It has to be done from the outside. It has to be done from Christ. Romans 8.3 says this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is so high and above everything that as soon as we have fallen, there's no way to get back up unless God comes down. And what did he do in his son Jesus? He came down. That's the next part. Who can fix it? It's Jesus. Not only is he able, but he's willing. He's not some God who just doesn't care, says, man, they messed up. Oh, well, next. No, they go in and they say, man, they messed up. Let me go and fix it. Let me go and take care of my creation. And that's the next point that Daniel realizes. Verses 15 through 17 is characterized, you can bracket it as receive God's sovereign mercy. What does sovereign mean? Can someone shout it out? What? All reigning. Okay, what else? In control. Good, what else? Landon, you got an idea? Okay, that's all right. Sovereign is, yes, in complete control, not lacking anything. So when we give mercy to someone, if I were to say, let's say Jacob comes up to me and says, I'm separated from God, I've sinned, and I can't do anything about it. Oh, don't worry, I'll give you mercy. So what? Your mercy is not sovereign. Your mercy has only a little bit of temporary feel good. It has no permanent eternal solution about it. But God's mercy, on the other hand, does. Romans 8, 
3 through 4 says this. So we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you see right there? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Some other translations say, for God has done what was impossible for us to do by the law of Moses. Impossible means impossible. We always in our little culture, you can do the impossible. You speak to a little two-year-old in daycare, you can become president. And he's picking his nose as you're saying it. You're like, just kidding. Go play with your Play-Doh. But God does the impossible. We can't. And what's really amazing is Daniel, understanding God's sovereign mercy, realized that he needed to say something about it because if he didn't say something about it, God is so worthy because his mercy is so beautiful, his holiness is so other, that even if 100% of the people on planet Earth ceased to give him praise, the rocks would cry out. Luke 4 says it, Jesus, Luke 19 says, Jesus says, if they, the people of God, refuse to worship me, even the rocks would cry out. That's what nature is all about. That's what creation is. You see, if the universe, we always talk about, oh, is there alien life? I think if the universe was only built as a home for us, there's gotta be life. It's too big. But that's not what it was built for. If the universe was built to declare the glory of God, it's maybe just the right size and ever-expanding. When we decide to see that God is so holy, so worthy, and we have seen what's wrong with the world and how broken it is, and it breaks us, if we first don't see what's wrong with the world and that we are in dire straits, we're going to go through life happy-go-lucky. That's okay. I maybe have, you know, some issues here and there with girls or with boys, but I'm good. I'm sad. I can just be a good person. The Bible says otherwise. That's why the Bible is the most loving thing we can do. Imagine if there was two of us up here, one blind, and this drop was a thousand feet. And I'm blind, and this person's walking, and they have the map. And the map says, in 15 feet, there's a thousand foot drop. And this guy's got no clue. And just walking, just walking. Now, some of us don't like confrontation. Some of us are like, Man, your hair looks nice. Oh, oh yeah, you do you, bro. Oh, you don't, you don't want to turn around? Oh, that's okay. But the most loving thing we can do is sometimes the most painful thing we can do. You're walking the wrong way. And oftentimes it's painful for us. We need to first realize, like Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and find what's grievous in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're the blind person. Number four, actually, no, I, wanna, I don't want to skip this quote. C.S. Lewis said this, a man can no more diminish the glory of God by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. Sometimes we feel like we're up against the world, like, no one's worshiping Jesus. Everyone's going to hell. It's all, it's all for naught. Why should I even try? Well, even if people defame the name of God, there is no way that God's glory goes away. 
there's no way. But when we realize that there's, we are not right with God, but he is willing and able to completely and utterly and sovereignly forgive us in his beautiful mercy, then what we're going to do, number four, this is verses 18 and 19. I want to read this again. Can you bring up Daniel 9, 18 through 19? Let me read this again. This is, you can characterize this. You can kind of put the brackets. Stand in the gap by the Spirit's power. Stand in the gap. Oh, my God, learn, lean down and listen to me. No, um, one more. Oh, no, that's right. Open your eyes and see despair, our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We can kind of say, we can turn that into our own prayer and say, God, look at the Middle East right now. Look at how war-torn they are. Come bring mercy. Or we can say about our own city, God, look at how many people are walking away from you. Look at how many people in my schools don't give a flying fig about who you are. God, bring mercy. Here, we make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. I love that. That's the gospel. It's because of God's mercy. Here's my favorite part. Oh, Lord, hear. And he says, I hear you. Oh, Lord, forgive any time. We ask for forgiveness. There's no question that we're forgiven. It's not God saying, well, you asked for it seven times this week, so we're going to rain check that because you've maxed your quota. No, no. Oh, God, forgive. And he will. Oh, Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people in your city, bear your name. Do you know why we live for the gospel? And we want to live for other people knowing it? It's not because we want to save them from hell. It's because that when they receive the image of God, God's glory just multiplies even more. Imagine like adding to infinity. That's the way it is when a new believer comes to know Jesus. It's like join the party of heaven. We bear his name. So when I bear his name and I bear his image and then I go out and I say, you should bear his image too. It's what we were made for. Because if we kept silent, even the rocks were made to bear his image. Even the rocks were made to glorify his name. So number four, we stand in the gap. This kind of reminds me, standing in the gap, of some more contemporary figures. Mother Teresa. How many of you guys have ever heard that name? Raise your hand. A few of you. Mother Teresa was like the saint of all saints, lived in Calcutta, India. And we're going to read a little bit about her story. And I want you to hear, like, sometimes we, we glorify missions or we think, yes, I want to be all for God's glory. I want to be a life devoted to holiness, worship, prayer, and missions. That's me. It's going to be good. That's exactly what this lady did. Let's read. For the next 50 years, Teresa and the missionaries of charity would work tirelessly to spread the love of God to most of the most desolate people and places on earth. By the time of her death in 1977, the missionaries of charity numbered more than 4,000, in addition to the thousands more lay volunteers with 610 foundations in 123 countries around the world. Man, she must have been feeling really good about all that. But actually, over those 50 years, this is what we get. A window into her soul. This is her writing to her spiritual counselor says this, not only was, so explaining, not only was Teresa utterly surrendered to God and his will for her life, 
That much everyone knew, but more amazingly, she was, she was so in spite of the fact that more, for more than 50 years, she had, lived, she had lived in what many describe as dark nights of the soul. Whenever it was, whatever it was, it was certainly a piercing spiritual desolation. The woman who had lit the world with the love of God, doing all that she could, could to ensure that the God-forsaken, the God-forsaken of the world would know they were loved and wanted, had herself endured perhaps the longest period of inward abandonment we have on record, searching in the darkness for even a scrap of divine consolation, anything to remind her of God's love, the Lord's sweet love and desire for her, and finding little to none. And then we get her own words. She's writing to her spiritual mentor, your grace, that's what you address an archbishop as, please pray specially for me, that I may not spoil his work and that our Lord may show himself for there is such terrible darkness within me as if everything were dead. It, it has been like this for more or less the entire time I started the mission. Ask our Lord to give me courage. Please give us your blessing. And then it keeps going on. She says, my own soul is, remains in deep darkness and desolation. No, I don't complain. Let him do with me whatever he wills. Continually. Surrendering anew, she sacrificed willingly to the consolation of felt union with Jesus for the challenge of living by pure faith. So do you hear that? If you don't know the story, you should read um, All Flame. Pastor Andrew does a great job of explaining it. But what Mother Teresa, basically, let me sum it up. Mother Teresa felt dead inside as she made other people feel alive, seen, known, and loved by God. She felt dead inside as she was literally caring for the dying and bringing them back to health. This was no cakewalk. Can I just pause for a second? This is not necessarily about missions. This is about the Christian life in general. The majority of our Christian lives will not be the mountaintop experiences. Let me say it again. The majority of our Christian lives will not be mountaintop experiences. For many of us, we'll feel like God is so distant, that God is so far. We'll feel a deep pain. And being real with you guys, that's where I've been the last multiple, multiple weeks. I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm up here preaching. But I don't feel the love of God. I don't feel his voice speaking to me. But every time I say, God, do you speak to me? I open up the Bible, and the answer is yes. Even if I don't feel like it's this new revelation from the word that I read over and over again, I can know and I can throw myself onto the scriptures and say, but he's here. And I'm not going anywhere because he's not going anywhere. There are some of you in this room who your entire Christian life has just been hype, just trying to sustain the hype. I'm here to tell you that's so dangerous. Because when you have no more energy to sustain the hype, you'll realize that you've not been following Jesus. You've been following the hype. But if we were like Mother Teresa say, I feel nothing. I am so desolate in the soul, but I don't complain. Let him do what he wills with me. Meaning God is so worthy of my entire life that whether I see him a single day do any sort of miracle, I trust him. 
My friend Mark Luby spent many months over in another country doing missionary work, and I remember connecting with him when he was over there, and I said, how's it going? And I was fully expecting a missionary story of like, oh my goodness, God put an eyeball that wasn't in someone's head, like put it in there. I've heard of that story before. God raised someone from the dead. I've heard that story before. But instead he said, Chase, it has been the hardest thing I've ever done. Not a single person has come to faith. And he was there for months. Like we're working, like I'm literally with one person. I've given up trying to do everybody, and I'm focusing on one person, and he still doesn't want Jesus. And I can't remember if he left still not seeing anyone convert to the faith, but he didn't give up. He said, Chase, I do missions because God is worthy of it. I am just the vessel. I can't refuse to close up because then I'll become like the Dead Sea. It's my nature. It is the Christian's nature to make disciples. It's not a suggestion. If you think that you're a Christian, this may sound bad, but if you think you're a Christian and you have no desire to see the world come to know Jesus, or you have no sense of urgency, my question is, what are you following? Because Jesus rended heaven and came down because he knew that the world needed him or to be like Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you need to have an overwhelming, all the time, giddy, excited passion for missionary work. No. But what I am saying is that you need to realize and understand that your life is not about you and Jesus. It is about God glorifying himself through you. And oftentimes that looks like, actually 100% of the time, looks like making disciples. Sorry for that little tangent. But so What? We can realize what's wrong with the world. We can realize um, who can fix it, not us. We can realize God's sovereign mercy and we can stand in the gap. But why? So many people, after we hear all of that, after we hear all of that, how many of you have ever heard the saying, all Christians are missionaries? Well, let me tell you, it's wrong. Because here's what that says. I'm not about to say, go be a missionary in your school. No, no, no. That, in a sense, what that does is all Christians are missionaries. I can just do it where I am. If you say, no, no, I'm called to missionary work, but you never leave? All Christians are called to be evangelists. But when I say all Christians are missionaries, I can be a missionary in my own culture. What that does is, in a sense, unintentionally, however good intention it is, it separates the responsibility of this. 3.23 billion people. I've printed out an entire list of the unreached people groups in the world by tribe. This amount of paper represents 3.23 billion people in the world. What unreached means is they don't have a Christian in their culture or a Christian movement in their culture that they can hear the gospel in their own sphere. They need outside help. So imagine if we were to say, no, no, you can be a, a missionary wherever you are, and you decide, I'm just gonna stay here. I'm not even gonna worry about everywhere else. We have 300, we have 3.23 billion people who will never hear the gospel. You're like, well, Pastor Chase, what's so wrong with that? If they, if they don't hear the gospel, don't, don't, don't they go to heaven? What about the innocent guy in Africa, Pastor Chase? Like, surely God is not that mean. 
And here's my point. The innocent guy in Africa, by all means, will go to heaven. But here's the problem. What we read in the Bible, there are no innocent people anywhere. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In Romans, it talks about how creation tells of his glory. So men are without excuse. This sounds uncomfortable. And many of you may be like squirming in your seat a little bit. Good. Because it terrifies me. Because 3.23 billion people don't have a chance to hear the gospel yet. And they'll be eternally separated from God. A million years will go by and they will be no closer to the end than when the first day they started. And yet we have the words of life right here. Do you know how many churches are in Colorado Springs? Someone shout out a number. Seven? No. What? There's seven new life churches. What else? 86. No, there are over a thousand churches in Colorado Springs. A thousand. That's right. So let's say we did this. Let's say that you said, you know what, Pastor Chase, the missionary thing, that's not for me. Let's leave it up to the, profess- the professionals, which I guess I'm a professional. So, okay, we can fit 450 people in this room. If we were to pack, somehow get the money to fly all those 3.23 billion people here every night, 450 at a time, and we were to pack this room out at 450 every single night, no breaks, no holidays, no stopping for snowstorms, no snow days, it would take <laughs> 19,665 years for all of those people to hear the gospel only once. But by the time we get to everybody, they'll be dead. Well, what about this? Okay, we have a bigger room. What about if we put 1,000 people in there? Surely that's going to make a difference. 8,849 years for them to just hear the gospel once. I don't know about you, but when I heard the gospel once, I wasn't saved. Yes, God can do a miracle, but oftentimes it takes over and over the spirit working at us through a person sharing the gospel. But what if... Here's what's amazing. What if just 10 of you decided to be cross-cultural missionaries? Now let's say you don't have, none of you really can move right now, just up and move unless you're graduated from college. So let's say you decide to support a missions organization that makes disciples in unreached peoples. And let's say that your impact makes one disciple every year. Some of you have heard these numbers before. Let's say 10 of you decide that. Some of you are going to far-reached places in the 1040 window, which is where most of the people, kind of like near the equator-ish, don't know Jesus. And let's say 10 of you were to do that. After only two years, you'd have 40 disciples. That's a big drop in the bucket for 3.23 billion, right? But what if 17 years went by? It's not like addition like this would be. You would have reached and made, not just reached people with the gospel, not just told them about it, but made a discipler. Imagine if an entire year, me and Jacob go to lunch every week. And I'm praying for him every day. And I know him by name. And I teach him how to read the Bible. And I teach him how to pray. And then he gets a passion for it. And he does it to the next person and the next person. So we're not talking about just people who have heard the gospel. We're talking about disciple makers here. After 17 years, we will have reached 
1.3 billion people. After 17 years, we still got a lot of life left after 17 years. How, what's the youngest person? 11 in this room? Is that kind of roughly right? What's 11 plus 17? Someone shout it out. 28. You're not even in your 30s. And you've reached 1.3 billion people, not just reached and shared, but I'm talking transformation. Here's the deal. This is what blows my mind. Let's say we were to keep on that trajectory. After 30 years, so 30 plus 11 is how many? 41. You're not even retired yet. Still got a lot of life left. If only 10 of you, only 10 of you. Last week we had 340 some out of you. If only 10 of you decided to make the commitment to support missions or to be a disciple maker for cross-cultural missions, we would have reached 10 billion people, which is more than the population of the world, meaning that we can keep up with people inflation. We can keep up with it. People can have as many babies as they want, and we still got them. That's right. My wife and I are one of those people. We're having a baby in June. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. But here's the deal. How, let's read Romans 10. This is, this is the kicker that hits me every time. Romans 10 says this. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen and amen. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Maybe just replace that someone with your name. And how can they hear unless Drew tells them? And how can they hear unless Marin tells them? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, the Lord who has, Lord who has believed your message, meaning he's looking around, he's been preaching like my friend Mark, and no one's believing it. And he really wants him to believe it. Some, sometimes we have to trust that sovereign mercy of God is not ready to break into their lives and we're not going to see it. But that doesn't mean we stop. Because how will they believe on someone who they have never heard? Here's a wake-up call. It's not good enough to be a sun worshiper. It's not good enough to just be a good person. So many people think, well, if they don't know the name of God, but they know that there's a God, a deity out there, isn't that good enough? No. Not according to the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus, Yeshua, is the only way, truth, and life. He's the only way to the Father. But here's the deal. Who's going? The Mormon church preaches a false gospel. And I was talking to a Mormon. They don't believe that Jesus is God and um, lots of other things. You can talk to me about it later. I was talking to a Mormon. He was bragging. He helps out with missionary stuff. And he was bragging that there are over 80,000 high school graduates currently on the mission field, spreading this false gospel. That hurt my heart. Where is the American, where is the Christian church who says, no, no, my life, I'm going to be raised up to go out. 
raised up to be sent. And guess what? Unless we go or we send, meaning we go and we learn another language, we go and we cross cultural boundaries, or we send, we support missionaries, we support missions organizations, unless we go or send, we're disobedient. God said, go make disciples of all nations. He didn't say just some of you, just the spiritual elite, just the Navy SEAL team six of you, no. Go and make disciples. You know how the imperative statements work in school? Anytime you see an imperative statement that doesn't have a subject, what do you put at the front? Jacob, you. So make disciples of all nations really can be you. Go make disciples of all nations. You. So my friends, what are we going to do about it? Well, I'm not here to just guilt trip you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to be the one that sends you out. My job here is to make disciples that will multiply. And then one day, my family and I, I'm resolved to go cross cultural bounds, to go cross them, to go into the Muslim world, to go into the Hindu world, to go back to Thailand or India where I've been and raise my children in a completely different culture so that they can share the gospel. So there's multiple things that you can do right now. You can't get up and move. If you were to go tell mom today, hey, mom, Pastor Chess said I had to move to Iraq. Peace. She'd be like, mm-mm, take my hoops. Where's Pastor Chase, right? But if you were to say, mom, Pastor Chase made me realize that there's a burden that we need to tell people who don't know Jesus. There are 3.23 billion of them around the world, and he commissioned me to be the person to tell them so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go start making money however I can, busting my rear so that I can go give to places like Every Home for Christ who send out literature to the people. And they start Christ groups and they hike up mountains and they, they go where no one else goes. Or maybe you're going to give to Show Hope, Stephen Curtis Chapman's foundation, who takes care of the babies that China just throws away. Or maybe we give to the missionaries that we have here. Did you know that we support missionaries as New Life? Abby Newman's family left just a little while ago to an East Asian country. We, can, we have hundreds of options. So the question is not, well, there's no options for me as a high schooler or a junior higher. I'm off the hook. Whew. Nope. If we're not actively pursuing making disciples of all nations, we're being disobedient. Now hear me, God's mercy is still sovereign. This is not a come to church, get guilty, go home feeling bad. This is come to church, get awakened, and go home excited to share the news of the gospel. So my challenge to you, can we put up some of those pictures, those slides? We've got Show Hope, next one. We've got Calder Springs, I love you, if you want to start serving in your city and giving to your city, next one. We've got Every Home for Christ, next one. The Joshua Project, that's where all these numbers come in. If you want to pray, that's another thing. You can go, send, pray, or be disobedient. And I'm just not talking about like pray, like, dear Jesus, thank you for this food and help those people, amen. No, no, like intercession, like Pastor Victor's doing with the YouTube prayer sets. The last, next one, 
You can even give, this is the missionary stuff. Look at, there's tons of missionary stuff that you can do. Orphans, foster care, disaster relief, home initiatives, tons of options. Another option, as the band comes back up, is you can become a disciple maker who will raise up maybe from elementary, even from babies, a missionary. So in the back, after service, can you go to the next one? We have the ability for you to go and plug in and become a disciple maker in our pre-K through elementary. Where you get to go say, do you know Jesus? And then once they know Jesus, hey, do you want to come serve with me at Colorado Springs? I love you. You and your family. Hey, do you want to come pray with me for the nations? Hey, do you want to come show the gospel to others? Hey, I'm giving some of my birthday and Christmas money away to missions organizations. Do you want to join me? And now you've walked with one person for a year, two years, three years, and you're already on the way to reaching those 10 billion people before you retire. Does that sound like a good idea? It sounds like a great idea to me. Friends, I'm here. I could go on for hours and hours about this. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing is I want to see every tribe, every tongue, and every nation around that throne in eternity. I don't want guess what? God has promised that's the case. But he promised it and he's using us to fulfill that promise. Nothing else. We're plan A to spread the gospel. There is no plan B. So if we don't go, who will? So when we look at Jesus, you know what he's screaming in Isaiah 6? saying, whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? Who will be the physical representations, the Mother Teresas of this world, who even though they're in dark nights of the soul, even though they don't feel like it, even though they could lose life and limb, will go for me. No matter how timid and shy, no matter how scared you are, hand goes up. Here am I. Send me. And I believe in this room, there are some people who are going to be cross-cultural missionaries. Some of you are getting a fluttering in your stomach. Like, that's what happened to me when I was like, oh, I, like, should, I, should I do this? When we have that moment where we know what we ought to do, but we try and stifle it because we're afraid. Well, I'm here to tell you the God of angel armies is on your side, so you don't need to be afraid. The God who promised every tribe, every tongue, every nation to be in heaven with him is going before you and behind you. When you go into Iraq or you go into Burma or you go into Cambodia or you go into southern Mexico, Oaxaca and Chiapas and you go, he's already been there. You're just getting to join the work. And we can't think, oh, I'll go because I'm so holy. You know what missionaries say? He's no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain when we strip away everything and we live on mission, missionally sacrificing, we see how everything doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter, but only Jesus does. And when you're on the mission field, I can attest to this, when you're on the mission field, it is so hard. You're getting all sorts of waterborne illnesses. It's great. 
really nice and cleansing. You're getting all sorts of hate. You're getting all sorts of dangerous situations where Muslims are wanting to kill you, where Hindus are trying to force you out. You're going around, do you know him? It's, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. And even when it wasn't, it made me realize I need God more than I ever have. When we do hard things, we realize we have no strength. My challenge to you is do hard things. Whether you're not going across missionary culture boundaries, and you decide to be a disciple maker here and give and pray, do hard things, and you'll realize how quickly your strength dries up and how fast his strength is. So we're going to stand today. This is not a light question. If some of you feel like, you know what, I want to know what it takes to become a cross-cultural missionary, and I want to put my life on that trajectory. Throughout this song, I want you to raise your hand. Now, it's going to be hard. We're a church raising hand. Just raise it straight up, like schoolroom. And I or one of our leaders is going to come pray for you, come get your contact information, and we're going to help you through the process. We're going to be your senders. But in the meantime, I want you guys to start saying, okay, Lord, how can I do the hard thing of giving my life away for the gospel? It may be creative, it may be stupid, like go pick up dog poop, get $5, give $5. But nothing is too little for God. Let's worship.